Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a special bonus edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is an extra special episode for me. I normally bring on experts that I've met through Calcio Twitter, who have all been great, but today I'm bringing on two very close friends of mine, who may not be very active on Calcio Twitter, but they are definitely Calcio experts. It's also the first time we're going to bring on two guests at once, so that should be a lot of fun as well. Now, this episode was originally planned to be a Juve Napoli preview episode, and it still will be, but we're also going to talk about all the drama that unfolded today and continues to unfold around whether this match will even be played. I'll get to that in just a second, but first, let me introduce our guests. I'll start with my paisan, Mauro Russo. Mauro, welcome to Fortsanopoli. Thank you very much, Joseph. I'm glad to be here. I've been an avid listener since day one, and I'm very much looking forward to this. Oh, it's my pleasure. So you're both a Milan fan and a Napoli fan, so quickly tell our listeners how that happened. Well, uh, yeah, it's kind of a funny situation, but I guess, you know, uh, growing up uh, uh, watching soccer with my father on Sunday mornings uh, was always a, a pleasure of mine. And uh, as you said, we're Paisans. And so my dad is an avid Napoli fan and supporter. And I was growing up watching Napoli uh, for the most part, where that was the main uh, match on the TV. Unfortunately, um, during that time, when I started watching, Napoli wasn't the strongest sides and they struggled and they just weren't like the days of Maradona. And, and uh, that was quite, quite apparent. And being a young soccer fan, it was always uh, more fun to support a winning team. And uh, Milan was doing quite well. And I was playing soccer and I was playing defense. And so Paolo Maldini was an inspiration of mine. And so it just became a pretty simple and quick transition to be, become a Nap- uh, Milan fan. Sorry. Uh, my father didn't seem to mind, which is uh, odd because <laughs> you uh, you know that in Italy you are you are chosen uh, you choose your soccer team before you even given your name. So um, uh, that's that's pretty much it. Now recently, Napoli is starting to do a bit better, and I'd like to support my dad's club. And so I've also been uh, supporting them lately, and I'm very much excited to see both Milan and Napoli do well when they play each other. It's a tough call, but I usually go red black. Yeah, it's it's funny because in the early '90s. That was a pretty big rivalry sort of at the end of the Maradona era when those great Milan teams started. So speaking of rivals, our second guest is a Juventino, and I confess I am friends with a couple of Juventini. Michael Bonadiman, welcome to Fortsanopoli. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Happy to be here. Uh, always listen to the podcast. It's good to be on for once. Yeah, no, this has been a long time coming. So like I said, you're a diehard Juventino. Why don't you quickly tell our listeners how that happened? Yeah, sure. Like Mauro was mentioning, comes uh, directly from your father most of the time before you're even given a name. So 
just like grew up in uh, a Yuva, Yuva household and it's just always been Yuva from day one about 25, 30 years ago now. So there's been a lot of highs and a lot of lows and it's been a ride, but always been uh, faithful to the black and white. Yeah, well, I guess lately there hasn't been too many lows with nine Scudetti, but certainly on the Champions League front, uh, maybe some lows there. So before we get to the preview, I want to get both of your thoughts on everything that happened today. But for those who were wise enough to stay away from it, let me do a, a quick summary. Actually, it's not that quick. There's a lot to go through. I think by now, most people know about the situation at Genoa. They had their first case which was Mattia Perin, who got COVID a few days before the match against Napoli on Sunday. Then Lassie Shona got it the day before the match, so neither of them traveled to Napoli. After the match, we learned that the positive cases at Genoa had increased to 14. 11 of them were players, including Perin and Shona, and three of them were staff. And they currently have 22 cases, 19 players, and three staff. So Genoa's match against Torino was supposed to be played today, which is Saturday. That has been postponed. Then on Friday, Napoli confirmed that Piotr Zielinski and team staffer Gian Domenico Costi tested positive. An additional round of tests were done on Saturday morning local time and Saturday evening local time. Napoli confirmed that Elif Elmaz had tested positive as well. As a result, the local health authority in Campania blocked Napoli from traveling to Torino and ordered the club to quarantine for 14 days. There was some speculation on social media about the local authorities and that how they possibly left it to the club doctor to decide whether they should travel. So a lot of people out there were speculating that De Laurentiis was behind this because Insignia, Zelinski, and Elmes are all out. That story is false, though. The authorities tasked Napoli's doctor, Raffaele Canonico, with identifying who had been in contact with Zelinski because they would all have to quarantine for 14 days, much like we do here. Not surprisingly, he identified all of his teammates and some coaches. The reason that's important is because the new Serie A rules, which we spoke about briefly on our last episode, say that if a team can't field a team of 13 registered players, including the keeper, then the match will be postponed. Otherwise, if they don't play, they're given a 3-0 loss. However, they are not given a loss if the reason they didn't play was because they were not permitted to travel by the local authorities. Then we had Juventus issue an official statement saying that the first team will take the field on Sunday for the match per the calendar. Now, I must admit, I overreacted to that at first, and I think a lot of Napoli fans did too. At that point, there was no word from the league on whether the match would be played, so Juventus had to take that position realistically. They couldn't just not show up. Imagine if they didn't show up and Napoli did, and then Juve had to forfeit the match. Uh, the crazy thing, though, was that shortly after the Juventus announcement, Lega Serie A confirmed that the match remained scheduled for 8.45 p.m. local time. There were also some false reports, some fake news that Napoli were actually going to travel to Torino. After all, that's not the case. And as far as I understand it, Napoli are preparing the necessary documentation to demonstrate that they were not permitted to travel by the authorities and therefore the match should be postponed. Otherwise, according to the letter of the law, Napoli will have to forfeit this match and take a 3-0 loss. So, Mal, why don't I start with you? What did you think about how this whole situation played out? And uh, where do you think it might end up? Oh, when I saw the Sijoka tweet, I, I, I agree. I was a little bit uh, offended almost. Um, uh, but then after you start to realize that as the home team, they would have been forfeited if they didn't show up. Uh, you know, then, then it starts to make a little bit of sense. Um, I have to admit, I, I had never heard of the uh, acronym ASL before, except for maybe some use in chat rooms back in the day. But uh, uh, I, after reading through the letters and everything, I can see where a lot of the confusion lies. I'm of the opinion that if if we look at recent history and we understand how this virus works and how, you know, Two players from Genoa that had tested positive before the match, and then after that match, 22 players now have the virus. I think it's probably, you know, Napoli could almost be doing Juventus a favor by not coming up and playing this game. I'm not suggesting it's a guarantee that they're going to potentially get infected, but who knows right now about the players that will be leaving tomorrow morning if it all holds true, uh, and, and how that could imp- potentially impact Juventus' squad and if they end up contracting the virus. So, uh, time will tell. I. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, either way, it's been a tasty little bit of drama. And uh, who who doesn't love the drama, right? So that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, you know, Napoli Twitter and and Juve Twitter went to war today. And uh, I think one of the the arguments that the Napoli side was making was that when Napoli played Genoa, they only had two cases. And now they have 
2022, right? So what if that happened here? We could be heading for another shutdown of the entire league if we don't handle this properly. Mike, uh, from a Juventino perspective, what were your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's, it's obviously a, an interesting situation. It's a tough call. It's, it's, it's easy to see both sides of, of the argument. I mean, on one side, you, you want to take all the precautions you can. As you saw with Genoa, you don't know what can happen. Players can test negative at first and then comes out after the fact and they tested positive and, and you know, you can start spreading it, the virus uncontrollably in that manner. But on the other side, there's also rules that were made, just listed and, and, and given out this past week pertaining to these exact situations. So, I mean, the only issue is you don't want to see these rules breached right away and then who knows what, what happens down the road. Every time a team will have one or two positive cases, you know, they'll They'll go back to this precedent that was set, and 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 when that happens, you know, who knows what's going to happen the rest of the year. But uh, I mean, it's it's easy to see both sides, and uh, it, it's it really is a tough call. You can make the case that this is a special situation, seeing as how they just played Genoa, and uh, we don't know if positive cases will come out. But you also don't want to just start bending the rules every every time that something like this happens. We've seen other teams like Milan with Ibrahimovic is out, and they've just had to play. So, I mean, it, it is a tough call. I mean, personally, I do think maybe it, you know, it, it should probably be postponed just to be safe. Like, nobody wants to see the season go down the same road of what happened in March, and, and it, it just gets cancelled. But it, it is a tough call. It's a tough call either way. Yeah, that's a that's a fair point. I mean, I, one of the things that I think a lot of people were overlooking online as well is that everyone seems to be assuming that Genoa passed the virus to Napoli. We don't know that. I mean, there have been plenty of isolated cases around the league. You mentioned Ibra um, and before that as well, as well as in other leagues. I mean, in between seasons, you had these guys going and partying in Greek islands and whatever else, and people were getting the virus left and right. So I think it's a little presumptuous to say that it came from Genoa. So in that sense, you know, if they're they're following the protocol, then things should work out. I agree. You can, you can argue for both sides of it. And, you know, a lot of Napoli fans or, or Juvent- Juventini on, on Twitter were accusing Napoli of trying to get out of this match because we're, we're down a couple of players. I actually wanted this match to happen because, you know, it's still Pirlo's third match in charge. He's still kind of figuring things out. The transfer window's uh, still open, so squads are not finalized, and I think Napoli benefit from that a little bit. But uh, we'll see what happens. I don't think this this story is done yet. Uh, you know, we know what Serie A and with Italy in general, it, you know, they, they're going to leave this decision probably to the last second. So even though the league came out and said that the game is still happening and Napoli came out and said, well, they can't travel, I, I have a feeling there's uh, there's more to come on this story. So that's as, about as much as I want to talk about that subject. I'm pretty exhausted with it, following it all day. Um, but I still want to talk about the match uh, in case it does happen. And even if it doesn't, uh, there's a lot of interesting storylines around both of these clubs. I just mentioned the Mercato. So let's start there. I'll do a quick rundown of each of these clubs. Maybe I'll start with Juventus on this one. And Mike, you can probably correct me if I miss anyone. But so far on the market, they brought in Weston McKinney. Uh, They swapped for our tour with Pjanic. They brought in Morata. And in January, they signed Kulusevski, but he didn't join until the start of this season. I mentioned Pjanic is out. Iguain and Matuidi both went to Inter Miami. They loaned out, I believe, Muratore and Romero. And in January, they sold Emery Chan to Borussia Dortmund. uh, And he just joined them at the start of this season. And they just recently, I believe they loaned uh, Rugani to Ren, or maybe it was a sale. I I can't remember. So it seems like most of Juventus' business is done. Really, the main one is Kadira and, I guess, uh, Dechilio. You know, there was talks about Bernardeschi maybe swapping with Napoli. That never ended up panning out. So what were your thoughts on uh, Juve's transfer market so far? And do you think there's anything else to, to come? Uh, that It's possible. With there, you know, there are two days left before the uh, deadline on Monday night. So I, I don't want to totally judge what they've done in full because something can still happen, even something on the bigger end of things. So we don't know yet for sure. But, I mean, uh, the moves that we've seen up to this point, they look good on paper. I mean, they look like good moves. The team's gotten younger. I don't know how much better they'll actually end up being, though. I mean, we saw last year the biggest weaknesses for this team were in the midfield and probably on the uh, wingbacks. And I'm not totally sold that these moves are going to 
totally strengthen those teams. I mean, sure, Arthur, uh, that's probably the big marquee signing to, for the midfield that they, they brought in. They valued him at 70 or 80 million euros. So, I mean, I, I, he needs to take a step up. We need to see because he's, he spent two years on Barcelona. He wasn't really a starting player there. He kind of maybe played like half the games. So he's going to have to really take a hold of this team. And, and he's replacing Pjanic, who didn't have a very good year last year, but he was still a very, fairly quality player. So we'll see if, if the midfield gets any better. The other guy is McKenny that they got there, Weston McKenny from Schalke. He's young and he's uh, kind of a rough, rough kind of player defensive. He'll he'll win back the ball. So I don't know how much help he's going to bring into distributing, but um, we'll see what he can do as well. I don't don't uh, have anything to say about him until I see him a little bit more. He's played two games. So and then they brought in Morata, like you said, who he's going to help out in the striker position. A guy who seemed to be the third or fourth option after they tried to get Jeco and Suarez. And Milik and Cavani were rumored, but uh, they settled for uh, Morata, who is very happy to come back to Juve, it seems, after his uh, time there in the past. And uh, Kulusevski, I, I do have to mention Kulusevski, is, uh, I'm really excited about him. I think he's a great signing. Uh, he's 20 years old and he looks really, really good. He can play in a number of different positions. And uh, like I said, the wingbacks, I haven't, haven't really done anything there to, to fix that that which was almost like a gaping hole last year and i i don't see it almost like it's not gotten worse so i mean hopefully they can just make it work somehow and or unless something happens in these next couple of days yeah so there's there's a lot there that i want to talk about i we'll, we'll get to the wingback situation in a little bit because we'll talk about formations later but mm-hmm. what's interesting with the midfield is that even though i don't think they necessarily made too much of a, a dramatic change in that position. You, you mentioned, you know, Arthur and McKenney. You know, he he had a really good game against Sampdoria, and then he didn't have a great game against Roma. So we're not really sure what he is yet. But I think Juventus's midfield is a lot better because the players that they already had have have been a lot better. You had Rabiot looked a lot better after the the restart, and I think that carried over. Other than the stupid red card. Uh, against Roma, and then um, Aaron Ramsey's looked really good lately. So you know maybe Juventus didn't need to make that many changes in the midfield. Plus they have one of the best midfielders of all time now coaching these midfielders. So it's possible that you know they're. I don't think that's their biggest weakness anymore. I I personally think it's the back line. What What do you think? Uh, to touch on what you said there, yeah. Um... Rabio has looked a lot better uh, since summertime, and Ramsey, he's looked good. Hopefully, he can stay healthy for the remainder of the season. But I would agree with you, the back line, they have gotten older. However, Chiellini did miss pretty much the entire season last year. So, having him back, just being on the field, I know he's 36 years old now, but still a very quality center back. And Delic is going to be another year he's, he's had a, the first year of experience under his belt under in a, in a new league in a new country so you got to expect him to do better once he comes back from his shoulder uh, surgery but uh, there's no denying it they're all getting older and uh, I do want to mention Pedlos has looked like he might be moving to a different formation in the back using more of the three back formate three in the back which that's where the BBC became pretty much famous using that formation. So I'm wondering if Bonucci and Chiellini might be a little bit more comfortable in, in that uh, formation that they look like they want to use this year if they keep it. Yeah, we'll get to that qu- very quickly and then I'll move on to, to Napoli's transfer market. Between all of those strikers, you know, it seemed like Zeko was the one that, that Pirlo wanted wanted the most or maybe 1A and 1B between Zeko and, and Suarez. You ended up with Morata. Which one would you have preferred up top? Because, I mean, for me, Morata looks... I mean, he's a, an on-and-off type of player, and, and we'll get Mauro's take on him as well, because in addition to being a, a Milan and a Napoli fan, Mauro's also a, a Chelsea fan. Mauro's a bit of a Zingaro di Calcio, if you will. And, uh, you know, he, he has some experience and maybe not so many fond memories of Morata's Chelsea days. But where would you rank Morata in terms of the the strikers that that Juventus were linked to? 
I, I do like Morata because of his his history with the team. I, I always I was a fan of him. He's had some good years with the team, but I'd say of the guys that you listed there, I'd I'd probably have put Jeko as the first option, even though he's he's older. I think just in the next year or two years, he, he's still a quality player. He can he's more of a presence up top, which I think is what Juve was looking for more of with Ronaldo and Dybala, more of guys who would like to cut into the box, maybe from more of wide positions, they might have needed somebody who can kind of be a, more of a presence in the box. And I think Jekyll would have been perfect for that. Uh, you know, he can bring the ball down, win headers. He, he's got no problem distributing the ball. He can score tons of goals. So he would have been my number one. And uh, probably, I, I know Swat is, is probably, he's a prolific striker. He's probably got the most goals by far out of all these guys we listed. I just... I always wondered about how he would have fit into this team. So I'm not sure how he would have done with the rest of the guys there. But uh, just behind them, I would have said uh, Morata. I also, I didn't mind Milik. A lot of people were hoping that Milik didn't come, but I thought Milik could have been interesting as well. But yeah, and I mean, I like Morata. We'll see. We'll see what he can do. Sounds good. So let's move on to Napoli. So we brought in Victor Osterman was obviously the big splash. Then we signed Amir Rahmani and Andrea Patania in January, and they started with the team uh, this uh, start of this season. And just today, I believe, we announced, uh, subject to the medicals, the uh, a dry loan of Bakayoko from Chelsea, who, Mauro, I'll, I'll get your take on him in just a second, because you know him both from Milan and Chelsea. Uh, players going out were Alan, who went to Everton, Callejon, who just his contract expired. He's still looking for a team. I believe just today we announced that Amin Yunus joined uh, Eintracht Frankfurt in the Bundesliga. And then there's still a lot of work to do with a couple of days left in the window. Still looking for a uh, sale of Milik. It, lately, Fiorentina seems to be the, his most likely destination for him, subject to possibly a, a sale of Federico Chiesa, which uh, I didn't even get Mike's take on that. But also, uh, Koulibaly looks like he's staying. Maximovic, not really sure. And then the rest are, are players that are not as as key to the to the team and are probably on their way out. Llorente, Luperto, and Unas. Mal, what were your thoughts on uh, Napoli's transfer window, and how do you feel about Bakayoko joining? Well, I, I think at the same light as what Mike had mentioned, the window is is not you know not completely done. We got two sleeps left. It's like the night before the night before Christmas, so to speak. And uh, interesting, yeah, the, the Bakayoka deal, um, it seems like Napoli's gazumped uh, Milan there because it almost sounded like about a week ago that he was potentially returning back to Milan. You know, a player uh, during his time, so I'll speak towards first his time with Milan because that's the more uh, recent experience uh, in my fandom. And yes, you know, I, I, I am a bit of a Zingaro di Calcio and my affiliation with Chelsea uh, resulted from uh, a passion for Italian players migrating to the English league and showing them how to play soccer. And so Chelsea is always known to have the Italians, um, Zola and Viali, uh, player coach Viali, actually. So, you know, the affinity for Chelsea started with that, and I still am a fan of them to this day. Uh, anyhow, back to Bakayoko's time at Milan. He did not really have an impressive start to his tenure, uh, but he grew. I mean, I think it was more so an issue of just kind of adapting to a new team and a new country, a new league. And uh, he grew to become arguably one of the better players under Reno's direction. Um, he's, uh, he's a workhorse, much like what uh, Gattuso was when he was playing. So I can see why that ended up being a good fit. Uh, he was prone to mistakes, though, and he has a heavy touch. So he, you got to understand his weaknesses and kind of try to limit them. And then with Chelsea, similar kind of experience. In fact, I think his best performances, I think, have been uh, in the French League. But uh, in, in Milan's second half of that year, I, I was pretty impressed with him. So if, if Napoli is able to sign that and, and, and complete the loan, I'd say that's a good bit of business. Overall, the summer transfer session, or I, I guess it's now considered a fall session due to you know, the whole pandemic. I felt a bit underwhelming to me personally, but however, I, I guess after some reflection, it's probably not that weak after all. I, I mean, the underwhelming aspect just felt like because the, team, the players that came in uh, during this particular period were very narrow, it was very you know, small number. But for, for example, Patania and Rami, like you mentioned, they came in during the winter transfer of last season. So it's easy to forget them because it feels so long ago. 
And uh, how can you consider a transfer window to be underwhelming when you've broken the club's individual transfer record through Osimhen? Uh, although I wonder what Maradona's signing from Barcelona in 1983 for seven million pounds at the time would remunerate in in 2020. Be curious to see how that adds up. I still think Osimhen would probably take it. And you know, I, I didn't know much about Osimhen until the initial rumors, but after getting some research on him I'm, I'm, and seeing his first few appearances for Napoli, I'm actually really loving him. So if he can avoid the wait, you know, like sometimes a player comes in on a club record fee like Morata did, had done probably at Chelsea, uh, there's a lot of weight on your shoulders. So if he can, you know, if he can uh, avoid the, that weight and, and, and perform uh, with that out of mind, I think he can do well for Napoli. I think he'd become a you know, fan favorite, and I think he can lead the, them to some successful victories. Uh, the departures, I thought they were s- slightly disappointing in that they went for less than, you know, what would have been received if ADL you know, pulled the trigger in previous years, like last year or two years ago for Alain there. Um, but again, then you have to ask yourself the question, like, you know, without those players, would Napoli have achieved what they achieved last year? Not to say that Napoli achieved, you know, grandeurs last year, but, you know, they, uh, if you ignore the terrible start that they had at the beginning and said, yeah, you know, they, they charmed Europe a bit in, in, in the Champions League until they ran into Messi's left foot. And, you know, they did lift the trophy, right? So, again, even though we didn't gain as much money off of those sales, they still contributed to the successes. So it's hard to say uh, whether that's good business or bad business. But um, anyways, I think, Joe, you also, I have to double check, but some, I believe there were some loans that converted into permanent transfers. Or maybe those numbers were agreed upon previously, like Verity, for example. I think, you know, that was good business to get rid of him and, and get him almost to recoup the um, initial amount of funds that were paid for him, especially during you know this time. So, anyways, if you have to rate this session, I don't know if you call Chelsea's current transfer as the benchmark, and like let's say that's a nine out of ten, I would say this is like a six, six point, I don't know, six point nine out of ten. And if the Bakayoko deal is confirmed, the loan loan deal is confirmed, I'd say seven point five out of ten. Yeah, I think if you if you were to look at this transfer window in isolation, I agree it, it probably does seem underwhelming. We all we did was bring in essentially two players, two new players. I mean, one like you said is a, a record signing, the other one is a loan for a player that's probably a backup option that'll play more, you know, maybe in the Coppa Italia or against some of the weaker sides in Serie A. But when you you look at the bigger picture, as you mentioned, Napoli started really rebuilding the squad in January after the team was in such a mess and, you know, I, I didn't include them and Lobotka and Politano on, on this list because they played uh, at half of last season. Um, and as you also mentioned, Napoli, they, they are good at, at doing business. And we made, I think in total somewhere around 70 million euros that hit our books this year on uh, redemptions. So those were previous transactions and and that's one of the things that you know, as crazy as De Laurentiis can be, uh, financially, he, this club is very sound. It, probably, I think the only club in the league that has no debt. Um, we'll see at the end of this season. Obviously, not playing in Champions League, um, and with COVID and everything, we'll we'll probably be in the red as well. But yeah, I agree. If if you were to look at this this whole transfer market um, in isolation, then probably a bit underwhelming. But the jury may still be out. Uh, we'll see how the next couple of days goes if they can offload. I think if they can get rid of Milik and and still get that price of, you know, it was around 25, 28 million euros with bonuses um, that they had negotiated with Roma. If they can pull something off for Milik, then I'd say I'd be pretty happy with this transfer market. I'm I'm not disappointed at all about keeping Koulibaly with some of the offers that we got. We're we're better off keeping him and playing him than uh, than taking a low-ball offer from City or even worse from uh, PSG. So let's move on to the coaches. Uh, we have two young, relatively young coaches. they both 06 World Cup champions. Uh, Mike, I want to start with you. What were your thoughts on the appointment of Pirlo, and how did you feel after his uh, first two competitive matches? Well, I, I can say that I was definitely uh, I was surprised. I'm sure like many other people were. I thought when they when they signed him maybe a couple of weeks earlier for the uh, under twenty three team down in City Chi Legapro, I thought it was a great a great signing. You know, give him a year, give him a year or two down there to to learn the trade. And I thought that in a couple of years, who knows, this guy could be a really the next great coach. 
being having been a great player and playing midfield where a lot of great coaches come from the midfield you know he, he saw the game he always looked like a he never really beat anybody with his physical attributes but more it was always in his head so i thought that would translate to him being a good coach having said that I was uh, surprised when not 10 days later after they sacked Saudi that uh, they decided to give him the keys without even having a single professional game of experience coaching on his resume. Uh, not even I don't even think he had his coaching license uh, officially yet at the time, which he's since gotten. But uh, I don't want to judge too much because he's only had two games and, you know, due to the situations, he didn't really have a real training camp. I think he was only able to have one friendly to prepare, so he's still he's still getting used to the team, and he's got to experiment and figure out where he can play some guys. So the uh, the first two games were it should be almost treated as friendlies for him, but I mean, in the first game, obviously they looked they looked good. It was uh, a comfortable win against uh, Sampdoria at home. So I don't know if how much you can look into that, but. The second game was almost the complete opposite. He looked like a, like a rookie coach. He had some interesting uh, formation decisions, almost like complete opposite of, of what he did the first game. Just in one week, he managed to f- flip around some players on opposite wings, and uh, it was just a little bit of a uh, head-scratcher. But like I said, he's got to learn. He's learning the trade, and, and hopefully he can pick it up sooner rather than later because uh, I'm not sure that... Juventus is in a in a position where they they want to just you know sit around and wait for him to learn for one or two years, and I'm sure they want to continue winning and keep keep the train going. They're going for ten this year, and I, I'm sure Agnelli, you know, this doesn't he doesn't want this to be the year where the where the, the streak stops. So I'm, I'm sure he really wants it. So I mean, we'll see we'll see how he can do, and hopefully he's got it in him. He, I I do think that they beefed up a lot of the assistant coaches when they signed him. They brought in a lot of coaches who had uh, head coach experience to help him out so he'll, he'll have some help the club is behind him I don't think he needs to be worried about you know if he loses one or two games that he, his job's going to be in trouble so I think he can can learn and, and, and go and and the players are going to have to work with him and, and see if you know just kind of put their trust in, in his ideas he's got fresh ideas to bring and, and who knows there's coaches got to start somewhere I know he's been compared to the Guardiolas and the Zidans. They had one or two years in lower divisions or on B teams to start, but who knows? Like, uh, we'll see how he does. Could work out or could not. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of us kind of felt like you don't need a, the best manager in the world to, to win a Scudetto at, at Juventus with the quality of the players there. That's a, that's a really good point about the assistants. And I think that, you know, Pirlo has some interesting ideas. I think even though he's a younger coach, I think he is still going to be respected by the players. We'll see. It sounds like uh, maybe you can enlighten me on this, Mike, but I don't know how much respect, uh, say, Ronaldo had for Sadi. Sadi definitely didn't fit the Juventus mold. Um, Pirlo definitely does. He's clean cut and that whole that whole thing. And I, I don't I feel like they have to stick with Pirlo because they can't afford to have so many coaches on the payroll at this point, right? Absolutely. They're, they just finished paying uh, Allegri. Uh, they're still going to be paying Saudi for another two years. That's almost another reason why I think they they went with Pirlo too is because he wasn't going to command a, a high paycheck like some of these big names out there would. But um, it's interesting what you say about Saudi. He, he went, in his exit interview, he, he mentioned that the team was uncoachable. So, yeah, I, like you said, I don't know how much respect they had for him and his ways. He's a bit of a peculiar coach. Not doesn't really have a, a relationship off the field with any of the players. He's always pretty much studying and at his desk and, and tinkering and, and fixing his, his strategies. But uh, sh- they, they'll definitely have respect for you know, a champion on the field like Pidlo. And if you uh, just base the coach on on how they look when they show up to the game and standing on the sideline, then sure, give me Pirlo seven days a week. Yeah, well, it's funny. I think uh, Sadi just recently made some comments that uh, he's he's not a Juventus fan. You know, he had to cheer obviously for the team that he's in charge, but uh, he's he's cheering for Napoli now. And I don't know if too many Napoli fans really care, but. Uh, 
Uh, I, don't, no, I don't think it was a secret that he he mentioned that he would be cheering for Napoli in this game. He yeah, wasn't really scared to hold that back at all. Even though he's still being paid by Juve, he, you know, he, yeah, he, like you said, he was never a, really a Juve fit. I'd like yeah. I'd like to remind everyone that he also dedicated uh, Chelsea's Europa League title to the fans back in Napoli, which is a very <laughs> popular statement. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a great shout. So, you know, yeah. I mentioned uh, being a Milanista. What did you think of Pirlo joining Juventus? Because I'm, I'm sure when, when you think of Pirlo in your mind, he's wearing red and black. Maybe Mike thinks of him wearing white and black. What did you think of the appointment of Pirlo? Well, Pirlo, uh, he's a player that I, I cared deeply for. You know, one of the only players' names that I've worn on my back, mind you, was for an Azuri kit because, you know, I don't spend too much on jerseys, but every now and then I'll splurge. Uh, His departure from Milan still troubles me to this day. And watching him play for Juventus haunted me. (laughs) And and then watching him win Scudetti with Juventus crumbled me, right? And and, and so now watching him coach Juventus, I'm like, uh, it kind of puzzles me. And, you know, Mike, you touched upon a lot of the great aspects of, you know, his fact that he's like a midfielder and he's you know hasn't had too many games behind him however he kind of fits you when it's mold and that i have actually read some analysis of the thesis he had submitted to achieve his coaching license and like i it seems to be almost completely opposite of what he's been doing in in practice because his the details of the thesis were just obviously maybe it's just to achieve a passing grade i'm not sure but they're very fundamental stuff you know um straightforward tactics that everyone gets taught from and he kind of just highlights them and and uh, tries to finesse him a bit. But like you said, he did some peculiar things in these couple games he's been at charge. So who knows if that's just a bit of pressure? Um, is that is that maybe a bit of him trying to dazzle uh, or whatnot? So uh, I feel like a team like Juventus, if the players are talented, you don't really necessarily need to implement, for example, Saudi ball to win. I think simplistic approach is, is what's required with these players. And Pirlo seems to be able to, you know, understand it that's a, that's like the toughest part about about cultural it's like you know trying to play simple is sometimes the most difficult aspect of things right everyone tries to get a little bit fancy you know Pirlo he always controlled the midfield when he played with Milan and and, and the Italian national team and he, you know he was fundamental to some of Milan's greatest successes okay like you know when I think about Pirlo I think about him raising two big years trophies right so um I don't think we can judge him based on his first two matches, but, uh, you know, like you guys mentioned about the comparisons to Zidane and Guardiola and all that, you know, it, it's not a joke that, the you know, the most successful instances where players become coaches are usually when they're, you know, midfielders. Although I think it's more common that a midfielder becomes a coach anyways because of the way that they view the game. So, you know, I still I still love the man. I, I, I'm appalled about the way that he got shipped out of the club when I think uh, Berlusconi and Galliani were entering into their senile years, I believe. So, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting season for them. And uh, I, I, think, I think part of it was to make an affordable acquisition. And uh, we all kind of know who the coach is at Juventus anyways, right? <laughs> yeah, so well, it's funny you mentioned Berlusconi. We might be seeing him back in Serie A not too long from now with the the money they're spending at Monza over there. But yeah, I think Mike mentioned it as well, that Pirlo was always a player that was, uh, it wasn't his physical attributes that, that made the difference. It was his, his mind. So in a sense, he was kind of like a coach on the field already. And I'm sure that'll, that'll transition uh, off the field. I also want to get your thoughts on Gattuso because again, another ex Milan player, also an ex Milan coach uh, probably, I mean, we the story is that he left on mutual terms with Milan. I don't know if he was necessarily sacked after he got them, you know, within the final match day of reaching a Champions League qualification. He joins Napoli and turned the season around last season, won the Coppa Italia, off to a good start this season. What are your thoughts on uh, Gattuso so far? I'm very, very impressed with what Gattuso has done with Napoli. I was impressed with what Gattuso was accomplishing with Milan because uh, it didn't start well, but he turned things around. Uh, I believe he's a coach that the players want to fight for. And I know in this day and age with analytics and everything that's come together, there's more to um, the way that players are analyzed in terms of their performance levels. And 
all these other ways of analyzing things, analyzing things. But again, the relationship with the coach is crucial. Like Mike mentioned, you know, I don't know if many Juventus players were willing to live and die for Sadi on the field. And I... I'm pretty confident that players will literally lay it all in the line for Gattuso because if not, I'm sure he would kick the shit of them at some point. So um, it's funny. This is a matchup between, you know, two old comrades, two former teammates, two World Cup winners. You know, Gattuso and Pirlo shared spaces on the pitch within 10 to 50 meters their entire career probably. You know what I mean? So it's going to be an, a, a fun match if it all goes through together tomorrow. I think uh, it's it's a shame that Milan uh, lost Gattuso. I think it was during their time when they went through, I don't know what, seven coaches in five years. So it just seemed like it was the type of team that went through a really, really bad breakup and kept going through new girl after new girl after new girl until they finally settled on one with a bald head. And so having now Gattuso come over to Napoli, um, I think he's a good fit. I think the people of Naples love him. I think they can appreciate his hard work, his grinta, you know, ringio. The growl, like he's he's everything that I think that this city, this region desires in a coach. Just before him, we had one of the most successful coaches in European history and what happened. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think the first full year with the club, I'm expecting good things. Having, you know, having no Champions League uh, games is, is, a, is a bit of a shame, but he's still be playing midweek fixtures in the... Europa League, and um, well, you know, as long as his team can stay healthy, I think that Gattuso can, can lead them to a, a strong finish. Yeah, he he's definitely a good fit for this city. I mean, San Gennaro, right? Um, and <laughs> and also, you know, I, I think a lot has been made about the the Grinta and and his ability to get the most out of his players, which he absolutely does. And he's he's not afraid to kick players out of training. We saw him do that with Lozano and Alan. But he's also been showing his tactical abilities lately, and which is a good segue into the next piece that I want to talk about, which is the the formation. You know, he used a, a 4-3-3 predominantly last season. It was very defensive, Gattinacho, they were calling it. And it worked. I mean, it wasn't the prettiest football. It, we, we were playing very defensive, especially in the Coppa Italia, but it, it got us a trophy. Then we sign Osimhen and Gattuso shows all of a sudden that, wait a minute, this guy actually does have some tactical acumen. He switches to a, a 4-2-3-1 to get Osimhen into the attack. And he didn't start with it in the first match, but you know, an hour into the match, he made that, that transition and, and the game completely changed. How do you feel about, about this change in formation and about Gattuso's sort of tactical abilities? You know, it's like it, it comes down to who's available to the players, you know, for for the coach's selection. And so when you consider um, in particular, we don't have Calion anymore. Uh, Insigne's hurt. He won't be he won't be available. So really, the only member of the original fearsome 4 3 3 is is, uh, is Merton. So I love the change to this new formation, the 4 2 3 one. Um, I think that this is what's going to be the most likely used formation, barring injuries. Uh, in terms of what I think should happen with the starting 11, um, I guess keep the same one with from the Genoa thrashing and maybe maybe throw Politano in uh, on the left. I'm not sure. He kind of played uh, in, in Lozano's position after the substitution last uh, week. So... Uh, it depends on how adaptable he is, but I am. I'm more of a fan. Like four three three is a fun, is a fun formation. It worked with the players that Napoli had, but I am more of a fan of uh, the current lineup that's uh, being championed by Gattuso. And like I, like you said, Joe, so eloquently, like he's starting to flex his tactical muscles, which nobody would have thought he had. I know he would maybe sometimes make the occasional blunder here or there with substitution choices, but. Um, you know, if he can keep this up, I think, like I said, there's a, a strong chance of success this year. Yeah, and I think you're right in terms of the who's going to start where. I, you probably have to go, whether who starts on the left or right, it's probably, I'm thinking maybe you move Lozano to the left and, and play Politano on the right. We would have put in Elmas. He he kind of replaced Insigne after he went down, and now Elmas is out with covid I, I don't necessarily mind Zielinski being out. I my preference was that you had either Dem or Lobotka as one of the the two in the double pivot. Anyways, I I thought that was a little bit maybe over aggressive, and it worked against Genoa because they're Genoa. But I, I was a little nervous about going Fabian and Zielinski against a team like Juventus. So 
I mean, we where we're going to be lacking a little bit, obviously, is in the depth. Now we're, we're down three key players on this team. Mike, did you have any thoughts on on Gattuso or the uh, the four two three one formation before we get to Juventus's formation? Uh, not really. I, I do think Gattuso can be end up being a great coach in this league. I, like Mauro was saying, I thought he was already showing signs of of progress when he was on Milan. Just don't know how much credit he was getting for you know finishing in the positions that he finished with with the team that was at his disposal. You know, coming one point of the Champions League that year. So uh, he's also looked great on Napoli, turned around a team that was in turmoil and uh, struggling, and and he's he's looked good. So the teams look good, and they're back in the in the favorites for the the title this year. So I think he looks good. And and the in terms of the four two three one, I think that's the best way of of utilizing your your new prized acquisition, Osimhen. So yeah, I I'd be I would approve of of the switch. Awesome. So you already touched on on the three five two a little bit with the three men backline and the BBC. Um, so I, I want to focus a little bit on some of the players that that Juventus have and how they fit in. The first one I want to ask is on with Morata. We saw Morata playing paired with Ronaldo up top, uh, so that meant Kulusevski dropped uh, to the wing back spot. But I I felt that, and again it was against Sampdoria, so of course everybody's going to play better against Sampdoria. Um, except for maybe Fiorentina, I guess. But um, Kulusevski looked better to me in the striker position. But if he plays there, then you don't have any room for Morata. Um, so th- what do you think about that? Do, would, you, would you rather see Kulusevski play as a, sort of a wing back so that Morata can get into the lineup? I don't think Kulusevski is best uh, utilized as a wing back. I think he needs to be closer to the net. Uh, I'm okay with him playing on the wing. I think he showed had a lot of success on Parma last year. Uh, I believe he played on the right wing, but uh, closer yep. to the net. Like he, you know, he's he's capable of. He put up double digits uh, goals and assists last year. So I think he's definitely got to be a little bit closer to the net. Uh, whether or not that comes at Morata's expense, I mean, that remains to be seen. I still don't think really anyone really knows what Pedro's going to settle on. I don't, I'm not even sold that he knows what he's going to settle on at this point. But, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Morata actually started from the bench more games than not because you still have Dybala who, who hasn't played these first two games and I, I think he's got to be starting. So, I don't. Uh, I, I, it's tough. I don't know. It's. It's. I'm. I'm, I'm a little bit stumped at how he's going to work it. How he's going to fit everybody in. But if, if you, I, I had to choose, I, I'd like to see Kulusevski uh, more in an attacking role. It doesn't have to be as a striker, but maybe just behind or a little bit out wide, something like that. Yeah, I was. I was actually going to ask you about DiBala as well because I'm looking at at this formation and I can't figure out how he fits into it. I I wouldn't be shocked if Pirlo changed the formation again to try to get all of these pieces to fit in there, whether he plays a, you know, a three, four, three, maybe, or uh, like a, a similar formation uh, to Napoli's with uh, something that has, you know, a number 10 there that, that Dybala can drop into and maybe play behind. And maybe you can get everyone in where if you have a four man attack with, you know, Ronaldo on the left, Kulusevski on the right, and then Morata as the striker with Dybala behind him, something like that. Um, We'll see. We'll see what what Pirlo comes up with. I want to talk a little bit about the respective form of these clubs, and then uh, we'll wrap it up with predictions. So Juventus have won one match, and they drew their second match. They beat Sampdoria pretty comfortably, and then they they drew Roma, and that was a bit of a shaky game. Uh, how do you feel, Mike, about Juventus's form coming into this match? It's, I don't know what to say, really. Like you said, they're coming off a, a, a game where they looked good against more of an easier opponent at home, and then a game where they didn't look so good against a tougher opponent on the road. And, and now they're probably playing the hardest opponent that they faced yet. So I, it's, this team is such a, a mystery right now that I don't, I don't know what, what to expect. It's going to depend a lot on, on how he decides to, to line them up and, and who plays. And... Um, yeah, I don't know really what, what to expect. It's going to be a tough game for sure. Napoli's, I mean, if the game happens, Gattuso's going to have them ready to go. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, it is. It's kind of a hard question to answer with so little 
information to work with it. I think, you know, obviously Juve is going to be eager to, to get a better result after I think we can agree was a disappointing performance against Roma. Even, I mean, in a way they, they may feel, or you may feel good about the re- the result playing, you know, down a man and down a goal for the final half an hour of, of that match. Um, but the first 60 minutes weren't that spectacular either. So probably some, some mixed feelings about that one, right? Definitely. I mean, you're always, you, when you go down a man, down a goal, and you manage to p- pick up a point, you feel good about it. But going into the game, you you might have thought you, you could squeeze that one out. Seeing as how Roma didn't look too good in their first game, they they had some injuries and, and some turmoil at the team. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, it, it goes both ways. It's We have to see how, where this team's headed. Yeah, so for Napoli, they they have two wins. They beat Parma 2-0, and they beat Genoa 6-0, so eight goals scored, none allowed. I think that may be a bit misleading. I I personally think Parma is going to take a bit of a a pretty steep drop on this. I mean, they're supposed to be very active in these final days of the transfer market, but you know they they lost Kulusevski, and they haven't really done much to replace him. Um, Genoa obviously is terrible. I, I think Crotone made them look really good, um, and they they really fell apart against Napoli in the second half. So even for Napoli, yeah, it's a great start, but we we may be overvaluing them a little bit just because of the quality of competition that they've had. And I, I think it, you have to be careful not to think that uh, you know things are going to be so easy against the nine-time champions. Mal, what do you think about that? I think Napoli is in, uh, in great form, obviously, right now. And like you said, it's because of their opponents that they played. Eight goals, four, zero against. That's, uh, that's a pretty impressive record, but who was that against? You know, it's early in the season. It's a very difficult question to ask. I think, uh, obviously, if the game does go on, we'll be missing, uh, you know, a few crucial members to our uh, starting, our typical starting 11. But uh, the squad has accumulated sufficient depth, I think, to be able to bridge that gap. Um, so, well, I think, like I said, it's a bit early to predict uh, what the form is going to uh, end up emulating. But I'm feeling confident for Napoli's chances. I think, like you said earlier at the very beginning of this uh, podcast, this would have been a game that you would would probably not want to have postponed. Juventus. And Napoli both have midweek fixtures, so trying to squeeze this in to uh, January week to do the uh, replacement game wouldn't have helped either squad if they were both playing uh, midweek fixtures at the time. So it's it's going to have to come down to which team wants it more and and plays better tomorrow. If, it, if again if the game goes on, yeah, I, like I said, I I would have rather played this match now while Pirlo's still figuring things out. At, at some point, Juve is going to get into a rhythm, and I don't want to be playing them at that point. So let's close it off with some predictions. Um, again, we assuming this match is going to be played, we don't know yet. I mean, actually, it seems more likely that it's not going to be played, whether it's a Napoli forfeit or uh, just postponed. But you know, on the off chance that they do play, we'll start with you, Mauro. What do you think the result will be in this one? So... I think that uh, if you look back at recent history, the matches between Juventus and Napoli uh, that have happened over the past three or f- no, two or three years, let's say, have been the most uh, kind of exciting and dramatic uh, matches. And there's been these like moments of just uh, total bizarre, you know, play like Koulibaly on goal, uh, the, the, the Coppa Italia win with the Pellinshire. Like, like, this has been probably one of the best rivalries in Serie A in the past few years. Uh, surpassing almost like you know some of the derbies that we we always like hold to, close to our heart, like the Milan Inter derby, Torino Juventus derby, pretty much pales in comparison. The Roma Lazio derby is, is is a close second, but if you ask me, it's the Juventus Napoli fixture that kind of dominates the Serie A uh, schedule. So uh, I'm expecting another game of fireworks. Uh, I'm gonna see. A 3-2 win by Napoli with uh, Osimhen scoring three goals and Ronaldo scoring two goals. Wow, I love it. I definitely want to see uh, Osimhen getting off off the slide. Uh, I 
I think it's a bit of a bold prediction, but you're a bold guy, so that's that's perfectly fitting. Those, by the way, those will be non-penalty goals. They'll all be from the run of play. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you know penalties are going to be way down this year with the the change in the interpretation on the uh, the handball rule. Even though we still got one each in the the Juve Roma game, but no, I like it. I I definitely want to see Osman uh, start scoring some goals. I think he deserves it. Mike, what do you got in this one? I was gonna agree with what Mauda said there. It just seems like every time these two teams play, there's excitement. There's lots of goals. Other than the Coppa Italia final, which you know was both teams' first games back after the three months that they had off, but other than that, it seems like there's always uh, action. Looks like an action shooter here. So <laughs> I, I'm gonna go with, uh, and also because I don't know if the game's gonna be played or not, and I don't know if the game should be played. I don't know if it's right for the game to be played. So I'm just gonna go for a, a nice high-scoring two-two tie. I'll give uh, I'll give the goals to. I'll, I'll agree with uh, Mauro. Osimhen can get off the snide. I'll give him one. One for Lozano, who's looked great this year. He looks like, even though Lozano was purchased last year, he looks like a, a, almost like a transfer market addition this year because he looks like a whole new player and he could be a big, uh, a big help to Napoli this year. And for Juve, I'll go with uh, Ronaldo to get one. And uh, I'm going to go off the board here. Maybe give one to uh, I'm gonna give one to Chiellini on a corner kick. Wow, yeah, yeah. Um, you're right on Lozano. I think you know, in a way, Napoli addressed a weakness without having to go get a player. You know, back to our discussion about the transfer market, the way Lozano was playing. You know, one of the the biggest positions that uh, was on our our radar. You know, was a winger. Whether it was Jeremy Boga, even though he'd be on the offside. Uh, you know, with the way Lozano's been playing and you look at some of the comments that Gattuso's made in the media, it seems like he's going to have a, a more important role on this side. Uh, I had the exact same uh, prediction in terms of score. I had uh, a 2-2 draw. Uh, I was giving the goals to Mertens and Lozano, and for Juventus, I had Ronaldo and Kulusevski. So we'll wrap it up there. Uh, Mauro, before we go, did you have any final comments you want to make? Uh, my only comments are that, Joseph, you're doing a great job. We love this podcast. Uh, uh, you're bringing some attention to uh, one of the greatest clubs in Italian football history. And uh, Forza Napoli sempre. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. Uh, any final comments from you? No. Like Nada said, keep up the good work. Uh, it was an honor to be on. I'm always listening, and uh, I love it. Even though I'm a... Uh, you've a fan, not a Napoli fan. I, I, I catch most episodes, so you bring you bring good quality stuff to uh, to the Twitter world. Stuff, Joe. I appreciate that, and and that's even though it's a Napoli podcast, we do try to get as many uh, non-Napoli fans on there, and that's why I do the uh, the match recaps, and I try not to just summarize, you know, the goals and give a little bit of analysis to offer something else. So that will do it for this bonus episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. We'll talk to you again soon, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre!
Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.